Hello, lovelies. Welcome to Horror 421, the podcast, with your hosts, special effects makeup artist supreme, Elena Morales, and your friendly small-town horror author, Charles Campbell. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the frights in this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Horror 421, the podcast. I'm your host, author Charles Campbell, and with me, I have my beautiful co-host, Elena Morales. Hello. And today, we have a very special guest. Um, He is a friend of the show by now. Um, His name is David O'Hanlon, and he has authored the Babysitter Massacre series of books. Um, So we'll get into that with David in just a few minutes, but uh, I just want to show you a couple of the book covers. He has four books out. I only have three with me. The fourth one is on the way. But uh, the first one is Daddy's Little Killer. With a killer cover. With a killer cover. They're all killer covers. (laughs) And we have Family Spatters. Splatters. Uh, They don't spatter. Well, some of them do. Family Splatters. And then we have Camp Carnage and... David has just released yeah, uh, the fourth the, title in the Babysitter Massacre series, and he's got it. Yeah. You got it? Uh, Murder he Cove. The yeah. Murder Cove. All right, David. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, how you got into writing, and, and we'll dive into the Babysitter Massacre books, too, specifically. But uh, let's get a little bit of your backstory so our audience knows you. That was a, kind of a long, drawn-out process. You know, as a kid, you know, I read the Boxcar Children and Goosebumps and you know, that kind of age-appropriate stuff. Um, I started kind of getting into my parents' book collections. And there was always those ones that I liked the story. I liked elements of it, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. Like, I love Jurassic Park and Congo, but, you know, I was there to see fucking dinosaurs eating people. And I didn't need to know why there were dinosaurs. Like, I didn't give a shit about all of that. You could take that out. Just give me the dinosaurs. You know, give me the crazy, like, gray apes or smashing people's skulls with the rocks. That's what I wanted to see. And it kind of seemed like a lost cause for, like, the longest time. Like, I really got into Dean Koontz for a while. Uh, I was never big in Stephen King, which is kind of like the – everybody's jaw drops when I say that. They're like, wait, you don't, you don't read Stephen King? I'm like, no. You know, it's like I, I love Cycle of the Werewolf. Outside of that, like, I've finished a few of his novels and a handful of short stories, but I can't really get into it. And even with Dean Koontz, you know, it's like very long-winded at times. Like, I love the movie Watchers. The book is like an extra 350 pages that we didn't need because I was just there for The Outsider and The Super Smart Dog. But I found <laughs> Matthew Riley's Ice Station when I was 17. And it was just that kind of over the top. You know, it's sci-fi, it's action, it's got some horror elements, but it's more or less just you know, full throttle the whole way through. Now, okay, so there are people that write stories that I want to read. I just got to find them or I've got to be them. And I started uh, kind of writing some things. And unfortunately, some of them still exist. I have them on a file just to remind myself that I used to suck really, really bad. So anytime I'm down on myself, I'm like, I'm at least a step above that now. Um, But he really kind of got me into wanting to write. And then life happened. It was just kind of this thing. I put it to the background um, and then I started kind of getting back into it after I discovered the Monster Hunter International books from uh, Larry Korea. And they were kind of the same thing, like it's balls out action and monsters and 
witty dialogue and kind of made me start wanting to get back into it. And I found a writing group here local who was ran by uh, Brad Carter. Uh, he's the author of a bunch of books beforehand, but recently he started working with um, Severed Films. And he did novelizations for a couple of their movies, including Cruel Jaws. And he's kind of a guy, he's took me under his wing and started, you know, just beating me over the head with stop doing this. That's not how you write a book. And put a lot of extra effort into <clears throat> helping me become, you know, a, an actual writer. So for about the last six years, uh, thanks to him, I've actually been able to do it. I've been publishing short stories and uh, such. And then I started kind of pursuing getting into uh, some of the longer format stuff. Um, and then maybe Zero Massacre fell into my lap. So now that's kind of become my thing for the last two years. Yeah, well, one of the things I really love about the Babysitter Massacre books, and again, I've read two of the four, so i still got two to read. But when I'm reading them, they're very cinematic, and they, they look like they could be on a screen somewhere. Just the way the story is told, uh, it looks, it, it reads like, and I've never written a screenplay. I don't know if you have or not, but I've never written one. But they look very, um, or they read like they could be transferred to screenplays relatively easily, just the way you set everything up. I can yeah. definitely attest to that. I think that the second book that I read, Family Splatters, from start to finish, there was never a relaxed moment where the reader could breathe for a minute because they were just, it, they were so entertaining and so well done. You truly have a gift for that. And I, I so highly admire that quality because like you said, I love Stephen King. I am a very big Stephen King nerd. I collect a lot of his books, but like you said, he is a very long winded individual. There is sometimes you're like, Hey, Hey man, listen, I didn't need to know like what the sidewalk sounded like in 50 pages. Just, just fucking go. Um, but also, um, do you, do you, um, do you read books of blood by Clive Barker? Do you like any of those at all? Uh, I've read Cabal and, uh, the rest of were in that collection with that one. And I want to say I read another one, not that long ago, but I can't remember what it was. I've always liked Barker style. I just haven't ever gotten a chance to really sit down and delve into him. Uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of one of those things where it's like, I'm going to pick those up next time I'm at the bookstore. And then I go to the bookstore like four months later and I'm like, I don't remember why I'm here. So then I'll remember like two <laughs> weeks later. I'm like, oh shit, that was going to buy while I was there. His books like, are oh, actually harder to find, actually. Like, to read lists now. So. Yeah, you can only find so many. Um, there's one, it was the young adult book you just said. What was it called again? Um, it has a really cool cover. This guy is like this purple gnome looking guy on the front. I can't remember the name of it. My cousin loves that book. It's one of her favorites. You can find that one a lot in Books of Blood, but it's like the first three. You can never find like the full collections. Oh, we got you, David. You still there? Yeah, I had some audio lag there for a second, but I'm, I can hear everybody okay. now. Uh, okay. You may want to re-ask that question unless David heard it. No, I, I caught the question. It just kind of started skipping out there. Right? Right. I couldn't keep up with if we were gotcha. real time or not. Uh, gotcha. But yeah, uh, all of my stuff is uh, very, uh, my whole writing process is based around movies. So for me, it's, you know, I have my pre-production, then I have my shooting schedule, then I have my post-production. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to actually document it. I have a plan to 
show it as I do it, though. I hate those things like workout videos where everybody's buff and they're telling you, oh, yeah, if you do this exercise, you're going to look like me. You know, I want to see the guy that already looks like me doing the exercises. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about a lot of the writing manuals. I want to see somebody who's not super famous showing you what their style is, showing you what the results are as they go. Like, yeah, I wrote this in four days. Yes, I sold this story. I made this amount of money this year. I want to see somebody who's actually applying this at the beginning of their career because what worked 10 years ago is completely different now, let alone something that worked 30, 40, 50 years ago. So for me, my style has always been very uh, a, a same appeal to me as how movies are made. Um, so I do kind of storyboard my stuff. I don't use a traditional outline. I have a big bulletin board and I'll put little uh, index cards with different scenes on there. And though I have them all laid out, I can see what's missing from the book. So I know where I need to add a card or if another card would make sense in a different location, I can move everything around. Then I can sit out and start writing. Um, so being able to do it that way, I think it also helps a lot with the communication between uh, like me and Henrik because he is a filmmaker. So I can be like, yeah, I'm doing you know post-production right now. He knows what that means. I can say, hey, I'm doing this right now. And he knows kind of where I'm at with it. Um, so it is very, uh, it's very cinematic in my head and in my process. So I'm glad to know that it translates well to the page. A lot of times, um, that's kind of my whole goal is I would really like this in a movie. Can I make it work in a book? So getting ready for a different project, I always kind of surround myself with uh, media that really kind of puts me in that mindset. Uh, Babysitter Massacre Daddy's Little Killer is largely inspired by Giallo. So all through pre-production, even during while I was writing it, uh, which is only, I want to say nine days is what it took me to actually write it. Um, I surrounded myself just Giallo films constantly. Uh, so it's like, you know, starts off with you know, the Argento stuff and revisiting some other ones I liked, uh, like What Have You Done at Salon, some kind of the proto-slasher stuff like uh, Pieces, which was a huge influence on that book. Uh, just kind of think, get me in that mindset, kind of see some of the similarities in the subgenres and see if I can get those similarities to come out on the page. So it's kind of a interesting uh, journey each time I step out because I'm trying to mimic what I saw in film and see how that applies. That's that, that is very interesting and intriguing to me being a writer myself uh it's i'm listening to you and you're like storyboarding your book and then you're putting your cards where you know where this fits where the, that doesn't fit so I, it sounds like a really cool process for me i have the basic outline and i know where i want to end pretty much but uh, when i'm writing it can trail off here it can go over here it could go down here i'm sure you're the same way um yeah but all of my i know where i'm starting and i know where i'm ending <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my cards stay very uh, uh, vague, so it'll just be like, there's a fight or uh, conversation, and I'll have a couple lines of dialogue that I really want to put in there, and I'll note those, but otherwise it's just this conversation piece, and I'll slap it on the board, uh, because I kind of like to let everything take its own course and kind of let everybody breathe and do their own thing and see who actually wants to be the star of the book. Um, there's been a lot of times where I've had a main character and that character died within three chapters just because they weren't supposed to be the star that time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I like the surprise death. I'll throw, I'll throw a death in there. People don't expect it. Like, oh, me! 
out there. Just wait. I don't know why I like saying that. I'm sorry. I started a project and got to the end of chapter one and went, well, shit, I got to find a new final girl. <laughs> yeah, I got sick of her. She had to die. <laughs> I enjoy both of your both writing processes because I kind of have the same aspect when I do my creative makeups and stuff. Like I'll have a rough draft of an idea, but I keep little images in my phone all the time of like certain designs I like or certain patterns that are cool and and then i'll just trail off sometimes like ah, that wasn't supposed to be there here's some other crap and then i just go with it but like i have kind of a vision board aspect and i think that's really cool do you ever um sketch out any of your characters i I don't know if you if you do that or make little cartoon gestures for all of your characters but do you ever sketch any out on the note cards that you do with your vision board uh no i'm a horrible artist um i do when i have like a big action sequence or something i'll build like little models I say model, but it's mm-hmm. like a piece of paper with like the location drawn off like another little piece of paper I've cut out and that's like the car, but I'll have like little models mm-hmm. and stuff to kind of help me keep track of where everybody is, like how this is actually going to play out in real time. Um, sometimes I'll draft my daughter into uh, reenacting some of the sequences with me so I can make sure that the spacing and timing on the fights is correct. Um, so a lot of times I do end up going out there and just kind of, uh, having some kind of physical media to bring the story to life and make sure that everything's going to work. Um, I always tell everybody, you know, research is great, but if you can experience it, it's even better. So it's like, we're going to write a story about somebody who's, you know, out in the cold for 16 hours. Well, I'm going to go spend the night outside because I want to know exactly what this is going to feel like. Uh, you know, if we're going to do a story in the mm-hmm. snow, I want to go out in the snow and actually experience moving the way they're moving and see what happens. So I try to get as much hands-on with it as I can, whether it's um, actually being out there doing it or if it's building something to see it work. Um, a lot of the stuff in Murder Cove is kind of final de- uh, final destination style kills. So I've got to make sure that the balance is going to work so that it falls a certain way and make sure that I'm not just completely bullshitting the entire thing. So there's a lot that goes into just making sure that those minute details that probably nobody cares about are correct just for me um so mm-hmm. like i can't draw them but i can go ahead and like make them or something every once in a while i have my daughter help me i'll be like i can't quite picture this sketch this for me because she can do all of the artistic stuff that's, that's awesome. so cool that you get to enjoy that with her exactly i, I get to enjoy it i don't so know if she, she does <laughs> Well, well, well. Uh, does she, I mean, I know you're an influence on your daughter, obviously. Does she have a, uh, a creative edge to her? Does it look like she may want to pick up writing or something like that? Does she also love horror? She does. She writes a little bit. Uh, mostly she focuses more on uh, physical arts, uh, painting, sculpting. Um, she's a little perler beads. She was big into those for a little while. Um, she loves all kinds of painting and drawing. She's getting more and more confidence with finally she's been a great drawer for a long time but now she's actually like starting to show people and uh takes a pride in it and stuff and then my awesome. son is more into like the computer side of things so he's gonna end up mm-hmm. you know doing like animatronics or uh you know digital imagery something like that uh, he loves the monsters he doesn't like horror movies he likes monsters like he's like let me know when the monster's back and then i'll come watch the movie with you and he'll come in and watch the thing as long as the monsters are out. And then once the monsters go away, it's just McCrady talking. He's like, okay, whatever. I'll be back in a little bit. I got things to do. 
and he'll leave the room. <laughs> so he likes those old school effects. Uh, we watched Dr. Um, Dr. Mordred, Master of the uh, Unknown with Jeffrey Combs. And the whole yeah. like finale is uh, stop motion and rod puppetry. And like, you know, dinosaurs coming to life in this natural history museum and fighting. And he loves that kind of thing. Um, yeah, he doesn't the, care uh, about the rest of the movie. Does he like the old Jim events. Henson stuff? Uh, he hasn't seen a lot of them. We watched uh, The Dark Crystal, and he really liked the puppets uh, in that one. But he doesn't really like to focus on anything for too long. He's just kind of like, okay, let me get to the cool stuff, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to code my video game, and then I'll come back. Because he loves that kind of thing. So right now he's learning how to program drones in school. So. Awesome. It's so weird that the kids learning that now in school. Like we barely had computer time and, and friggin' floppy disks. Now kids are like programming damn drones and shit. Like I was building torpedoes, like the little tiny ones that go like that. Like that's what we were doing. Like what the hell? We get to do all the cool stuff. We, we were just learning keyboarding, so. <laughs> Well, bud, I'm older than both of you. I, I took typing class in. Was it on a typewriter? On a typewriter. The I like the sound of typewriters. That is actually one of my favorite noises in the, the entire the, universe. My first typing class was on a manual typewriter. It wasn't even electric, so I had to hit those keys. Like, if you wanted it on the paper, you had to hit the keys. And then that Christmas, I got an electric typewriter my mom bought me, and I thought I was in heaven. That's when I wrote my first novel in high school. I wrote like a 400 page manuscript on eight and a half by 11 paper. And I was handwriting in class and go home and type it up. And uh, I actually had a lady that was helping me along too. She had a typewriter at home and I'd give her a stack of pages and she'd go home and type them. Typewriters are cool. She was probably like, this guy's weird, man. He's writing about murder. Like what the fuck? Yeah. I wish I could find that manuscript. But, Didn't you say uh, your mom had it in a house, like in the was, attic? It was in an attic, and when they when they moved recently, I was up there tearing shit up trying to find it, and I never did find it. But oh well. Uh, but I wrote that when I was like fifteen or sixteen. It was like four hundred fucking type pages, so it wasn't small. <laughs> you know, it would be funny if like someone found it and it turned into like one of those sinister type movie scenarios where they found something in the attic and then it like starts haunting them and shit. That would be cool. Shit, I barely remember what the book was about. I remember the title. <laughs> it was called The Burning Light, and it was set in Bakersfield, California. And then it had a detective in it, and it had a lady in it, and it had a monster in it. And I can't remember anything else about the fucking book. <laughs> but I digress. This is David's time. <laughs> David, would you, in, in Family Splatters, I really, really enjoyed the character, um, Darren. Sorry, why did I just forget her name for just a moment? Would you ever consider writing a book just strictly about her and her character? It's possible. Uh, that's one thing that me and Hendrik had discussed in the past was, and it's kind of one of the challenges of the series, uh, is they have to be standalone books. So I don't get to bring back the final girl. I don't get to bring back the killer. So it's kind of, you know, difficult in the sense of, you know, this is still a franchise uh, and I don't have that crutch that so many franchises have. Uh, so for me, each book is kind of re re-exploring the age of the slashers, uh, and I get to kind of do just a little bit. I hit a button. Thing. I don't know what I hit, and but, I'm sorry for that noise. 
I was wondering where that came from. I was like, I don't have anything that makes that sound. I I guess there's sound effects but, uh, on this computer, and I had no idea. I don't know what I just I thought a demon freaking invaded the show. <laughs> <laughs> Touched a button. My bad. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I have all the characters still that are you know my characters and everything that I can explore outside of the franchise. So. Like Larkin and uh, Daddy's Little Killer, she was originally created for a whole another story uh, called The Cemetery on Sorority Row. But that story was just giving me fits mm-hmm. and it wasn't happening. And I really needed to explore that character some. <clears throat> Excuse me. So when I got offered the Babysitter Massacre books, I saw Larkin sitting there in my notes and I was like, okay, this is where we're going to start her out. And this is her origin story. Um, and I think that it really explored that character in a completely different route. With Darren, she was kind of meant to be the opposite end of that spectrum. Um, So I definitely really dug that character. I really want to explore more with her. That's just finding the right place to put her because I don't want to just throw her into a pre-existing story and just kind of uh, cut and Mm -hmm. paste her in there. I really want it to be something that's worthy of her because she's such a, a badass character and she goes through so much before and during the story um and i kind of want to see where she goes after that uh ending you know after the epilogue where she really comes full circle and realizes what she needs Epic. To forward. yeah so she was a, a lot of fun actually i had that epilogue sitting kind of off to the side like i don't think i can pull this off i think it's too bad shit I think that's where Hendrick's going to be like, no, dude, fuck that, change it. So it took me a long time to kind of decide. Even after the book was finished, I still had that epilogue sitting there waiting. And I was like, which one do I use? And I went ahead and uh, went with my original idea for that one. And I'm really glad I did. But uh, I, she's one I want to go back to. And unless I want to go with Larkin and have her story continue on. Um, and of course, you know, the other characters throughout the story, like just little like one-off characters just have a tendency to pop back up. Um, just our Jennifer Lake, the reporter who has, I think, like three pages in Daddy's Little Killer. And she has mm-hmm. a little cameo at the beginning of Camp Carnage. She got her own story that was on uh, Weekly Spooky not that long ago called uh, Nightly News. So it's like everybody's kind of got that potential to pop up later. But there are certain ones that like really stand out to me, um, and Darren's definitely one of them. She had such Hellraiser vibes too. Like we have such sights to show you. Like she was just that badass. Like, and the epilogue was such a great decision. Ah, I was like, what the? I missed like a whole pivotal plot point. I thought I missed something at the beginning of the book, so I went back and I was like, did this say anything about this? Yeah, I, it was perfect. I love that. I made sure that there's like little tiny hints like throughout where mm-hmm. the idea for me was that they, nobody should hang up on a clue and go, that means something later. They should look at it and go, right. shit, that's really weird wording. Like, did he mean to write that sentence that way? Just to <laughs> kind of put that little bug out there that maybe there was a reason I wrote the sentence that way. And just kind of have that kind of like subconscious uh like little thing toying at them the whole time. So I try not to ever just like throw it out there. Like, yeah, keep reading. Cause something big's coming. Like I want you to, you know, just kind of get to that big something along the way and be like, Oh shit. Now it makes sense. 
Well, I'll tell you one quick personal story of mine about an epilogue. I wrote a book called Cinnamon Tea years ago, and um, it was a detective story with a sci-fi twist, really, is what I call it when I do my spiel. But uh, in the epilogue, I kind of resolved everything, but I didn't tell people how it was resolved. I just kind of brought them back and said, everything's good, life's good again, blah, blah, blah. Well, people got fucking pissed off at that epilogue. I got messages, I got emails, I got texts on my phone, and I had a whole other chapter explaining everything, but I'd already published the book. It was out there. And so for these certain individuals who were really mad about it, I emailed them PDFs so they could see what the conclusion was, how they came back, the way they came back. It was crazy. Hey, I sent you a, a nasty message after the second installment of Mrs. Fields' journal. I was like, hey, man, what the fuck happens at the end? It's How the fuck a, are you going to end this like this, man? What are you doing to me? It's I need a, to know. It's, it's called a cliffhanger. For a well, reason. I waited a really long time it, for that cliffhanger to be answered. Yeah, well, I waited it, a long time. came out a year later. so It did. That's better than Matthew Riley. He had a... Uh, one of his books, uh, I can't remember which one it was, one of the Jack West books, and it ends with Jack West falling into a chasm and continuing to fall and fall. And that's how it ends. And it was like two, three years later, the next book comes out, and he's still falling. It's a big asshole. Oh, but yeah, he, big he's asshole. bad about that. <laughs> you guys ever read a book series and it leaves on a cliffhanger and then the, like, the whole new book comes out and you're like, dude, what the fuck? This was not... This is not what I asked for. This is not. And you're like, damn it. We well, in, 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 for fair, this. in fairness with Mrs. Field's journal, that turned into a trilogy, David. I won't go into the whole story behind that. Mrs. Field's journal was written as a standalone book. But anyway, it ended up becoming a trilogy. And when I was writing the second book, and you can probably relate to this, I got about 75,000 words into it. And I had no end in sight. It kept coming. It kept coming and kept coming. I said, damn, it's going to be a fucking 200,000 word book. So about 75,000 words, I just cut it on a cliffhanger and I said, screw it. And I just kept writing. And so I made the revisions and everything and put it, put it out there. But uh, when you put the books together, it's one book uh, because where the last sentence ends in uh, the locket, the first sentence picks up in Mazus. So, it, you know, if you stick them together, it's one big ass book. But it was it was driving me crazy because the story, I mean, it just kept coming and coming and coming and I just couldn't stop it. <laughs> it took yeah, on a life of its own. I saw, like, especially hanging out in writing groups and stuff, uh, people now, they get into writing and they're going, I'm going to write this epic trilogy or this epic, you know, 52 piece, you know, fantasy right. series. And everybody has that series in their mind. And, like, I can't do that. Like, to me, it's like if I write the first book and it sucks and people hate it, there's still going to be a few that want me to finish the damn trilogy now. So I try not to ever go into anything with the idea of there will be a sequel. Um, so everything I write, you know, especially you know, anything could happen. You know, I, I have a you know right. hour long commute to work and back every day. It's like I might die before I finish this damn next book. So I don't want anybody left on that cliffhanger. Like I leave it where I know how to make it a sequel and how I would make it a sequel if they want it. But otherwise, it gives everybody that happy resolved ending or not so happy, but a solid resolution anyways. But all of my stories, I tell Henrik this because uh, he was talking about how much extra detail I put into certain things, um, but I don't do it into descriptions. I do it in like the background stuff. And mm -hmm. for me, every story is just a garden. I just throw seeds out there. I see which ones grow. Um, so every character can get a spinoff. Every location can come back and play a major role in another book. 
Um, and I spend my descriptive time on things like that. You know, this is the history of this location that they're at or this, you know, stretch of highway that's haunted or whatever. Um, because to me, when you over describe the room or the person or the car, you start to really rob the reader. You know, you're telling them mm-hmm. this is what my imagination is mm-hmm. doing. I want the reader to use their imagination because we don't have enough of that anymore. So yeah. I try to leave out those details right. and let the reader kind of fill in the world the way they want to fill it in. Because I could tell you this is exactly what this house looks like, or I can let you build it up yourself and you're going to be more engaged. You're going to be more uh, in tune with what's going on around you uh, in terms of being inside the book. So I try to avoid those descriptions and put it into other things where, you know, there's a whole world behind everything that you're, you know, populating. So you can put your own characters in there, but I'm telling you what the history of this item is or that is. So it feels even more real because you got that whole background world, you got that whole mythology to where you're at. Right. Well, for for Mrs. Field Journal in particular, I, like I said, I never intended that to have a sequel. It was a cut and dry. This is how it's going to end. Done. Deal. Story. And it was so local. I mean, the people around here went crazy over it. And uh, I'd get messages, I mean, every other week asking me, oh, when are you going to put another one of those Mrs. Fields books out? And I'm like, never. <laughs> and uh, after about after about five years of that, I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'll write another one. So I had to go back, reread it and figure out a way to drudge all that shit back up again and bring back the demon and all that stuff. So that was, once I got back into the world, I've stepped right back into it, but yeah, it's surprising, you know, what people want, you know, cause I thought it was tied up in a nice bow and apparently not. I think also with a lot of people, I had this conversation with someone like everybody wants that happy ending, but sometimes that ending where it just ends, where it just gives you that gut wrench is like so much better. You're like, oh, okay, it's cool. Like in um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the movie, I was like, do not go back and rescue the fucking kid. This is a Guillermo del Toro movie. He does not save the kids. Someone dies in all of them. Leave it alone. Stop. It's done. It's been done. Just, just leave it alone. So I think with books, sometimes it's the same way. Like sometimes that very like, whoop, you're done. Just leave them hanging good yeah i think uh murder cove has a little bit more of that in it um whereas all the other ones i've tried to kind of give it a nice resolution in the main story then the epilogue is something kind of like wholly unique for me it's got like this twist that kind of goes back into it where everything you've seen so far either culminates here or is completely undone by here and i love going to those kinds of epilogues whereas this one kind of serves as the match to the to the fire like you get through the whole book and then you realize there's so much more going on as a result of it um and i kind of set it up to be a little bit harsher uh through uh, camp carnage um don't want to give anything away but you start getting attached to more characters in camp carnage than you normally have the option to get attached to in the other two books so then when I kind of repeat that in book four, it's a whole different kind of environment, a whole different kind of world. So seeing how, uh, you know, you go in from one book with expectations into the next book and then it's like, oh shit, okay, I don't know what's going on. And it definitely has that ending where you're like, okay, I get it. You know, everything 
is resolved for the story, but not the way I wanted it. But it also has implications further down the road for the other stories. Well, with I'm, your, no, oh, go, sorry. No, go ahead, Elena. Sorry. With your uh, killers in your book, do you have any um, either serial killers or any horror franchise killers that inspire you to come up with these characters? And also, with the weapons that they use in the books and stuff like that, do you have any movies that they come from or are based off of? Uh, yeah, it kind of depends on each story. Um, for example, the first book, Hey, it's a Little Killer. The knife on the cover is actually my work knife. Uh, I was working as a meat cutter at the time. So that's actually my scimitar from work. I took a picture of that and sent it over to Henrik. And I was like, here's the knife for the cover. Um, and that's the knife that actually plays out through most of the book. Um, so I definitely wanted that knife to be in there just because working with it every day and seeing what it does to these giant slabs of meat, I was like, this would do so much more to you know a 120-pound babysitter. Um, so I wanted to definitely <laughs> throw that one out there. I was like, here's my murder weapon. And, uh, the opening prologue for that kind of set how he was going to look. Cause I had just typed in the three little pigs line and, uh, it was kind of just a throwaway line at first and just tried mm -hmm. to get me through the rest of the prologue. And that was when I went back through and started reading it. I was like, holy shit. No, I really like that. That's staying. And. Uh, beyond that, I really want to stick to the kind of the Giallo look, the black gloves, the hood. Um, of course, you know, in the Giallo since 1970s, early 80s, they would wear the trench coat, the collar pulled up and the fedora or whatever. It's a little bit dated. Mm -hmm. So in the book, he goes with the black hoodie and the black leather gloves. Uh, but it was still kind of influenced by that simplistic design and then throwing on the mask. Um, just for more of that slasher uh, thematic look to it. Uh, with the second book, with Family Splatters, the saw that's on the cover is a nod to a French movie called High Tension. Uh, the concrete saw plays a big role in that movie. Um, the second book was largely based off of the early 2000s new French extremity stuff. Um, and Elena, if you haven't seen High Tension, put that on your viewing list. Oh, because yeah, it's a, it's a Yeah. I'm doing that now. That, that's yeah. one of I've my got, favorite <laughs> horror movies. I've got it in the DVD case over here. Yeah. They never made an American version, correct? Just so I know if I'm no, looking for the right one. Just okay. A, just a French version. They have a dub version too. I believe it's on Tubi right now. I saw it on one they of my got it. Yeah, I saw it on one of my streaming services. I'm pretty sure it was on Tubi though. But uh yeah, high attention uh was just a really big influence on that. Part oh of that my god, for, that movie uh, was so good. It was. It is so it's like just I really want to pick the director's brain on that one because after you hit the, yeah. that twist, I'm like, I really want to go through and talk with him and be like, and is this what I see? I'm trying to be careful because I want her to see it. But uh, yeah, that twist was, dude, it blew my mind the first time I watched it. I was like, what all the right. fuck? Wait, is there lots of blood though? Oh, yeah. Semi-gory, yeah. It's like gory. Argento blood or like chillin' blood? It's... Uh... It's pretty gory. I mean, it's, it's pretty gory. It's not super graphic in the, uh, like, you know, viscera or anything, but there's definitely lots of blood. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, and there, there's, a <laughs> there's a disturbing scene with a severed head near the beginning, and that's all I'm going to say about it. 
All right. <laughs> David knows what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's, it's Wait, very... what's the movie where uh, the severed head does cunning lingless? Like, what is that? That one, or is that a different one? That was. Uh, oh shit! <laughs> I know Not that quite. <laughs> That's an '80s one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. What's the name of that? You're, I mean, you're close, but uh, not quite. Animator, wasn't it? Okay, all right. I'm still gonna watch it. No one will care. <laughs> I want to say it was one of the reanimators, the first or second. Uh, the doctor's head. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But yeah, like at the 2001, 2009 ish era, they had a lot of uh, these really extreme French horror films that were coming out. Um, Inside is one of my favorite horror films of all time. It came out 2007, uh, and then High Tension was kind of the leader of the pack, I think 2003, if I remember correctly. Um, so those two were big influences, as was uh, Frontiers, which is another good one. I'm honestly surprised that one hasn't gotten a remake, especially with the uh, current political climate and all. Uh, it's be very timely now, but I love the details in those movies, uh, and they're very transgressive. Uh, that was kind of what I wanted to do with that whole book. It was kind of meant to be a body count book. Like It wasn't meant to be anything grand. And it was supposed to just be, I'm going to put this killer out there. He's going to fucking wreck shop. And he's going to you know get his at the end. Very definitive ending, I think, for him. And then we're going to be on to book three. And it ended up being a very uh, personal story for me. Um, and I think part of that was just that transgressiveness and trying to uh, kind of slap everybody in the face with, yeah, this is what we've always done. This is the trope we've always followed. We're not going to do that this time. So, you know, normally you have that J.B. Lee Curtis, you know, virginal hero girl with Darren. You know, she's very sexually dominant. She's very open with her sexuality, who she is. And I wanted to make her just very much uh, somebody who doesn't need to be rescued. She's the badass. She's trying to save the kid and mm -hmm. trying to find, you know, some kind of solace in her life after everything that's happened to her. And she's trying to find that coping mechanism and she ends up finding it by going to war with Red. And I really wanted uh, to explore that. And in doing so, I had to dig into a lot of shit that I don't deal with and I don't talk about. And it ended up dragging out into the story and becoming a very personal kind of cathartic experience. Uh, so I actually ended up loving uh, Family Splatters more than any of the others. But for me, that New French Extremity was kind of the main line for it. And then at the same time, mm -hmm. the Terminator. Um, to me, the Terminator, if you added a supernatural element to it, it's a serious, it's a slasher. It's a horror movie. But because we have a robot mm -hmm. traveling through time, well, now it's a sci-fi movie. But if we say, hey, this is a demon coming to kill, you know, the second coming of Christ. Oh, shit, it's a horror movie. So it's the exact same story we said no fuck it's gonna be a robot and i thought well why don't we just go ahead and make it the horror movie it should have been and came up with a reason for this kid to be uh wanted by our killer and came up with the killer from there and i really wanted to do something kind of different with him uh so red is a very large powerful man and at the same time, he's kind of just fucking out there. He's got you know, the curly red hair. He doesn't look like a badass at all. He looks like an old farmer. And then he gets shot in the face and all that changes. So I really wanted to just kind of throw everything out there with uh, the second book where Red had to be 
crazy hillbilly at the beginning, basically, and then he gets shot and starts to kind of lose some brain function and becomes very single-minded in what he's doing. I want to kill this kid. I'm going after this kid regardless. You know, it doesn't matter. And really kind of giving him that cyborg mentality of, you know, objective, you know, go for it. So that was a big influence on that one well, with Camp Carnage. I really wanted to do this, like 80s stuff. So it, it was definitely the 80s slashers mm-hmm. kind of leaned me into that one. Well, it, it's funny that you mentioned the Terminator because a really good friend of mine, I talked to him a few times a week, and he's also a writer. Um, we were talking about your books, and I said almost word for word what you said. I, I said, that book reminds me of The Terminator. He's like, The Terminator? I was like, yeah, The Terminator. I said, because uh, the guy, the crazy guy in the book, Red, he is literally The Terminator. He's looking for Sarah Connor, but it's his granddaughter, <laughs> and, and he's going through hell and high water to get her. So uh, it, it definitely put me in the mind of the Terminator. So uh, it, it's I just it's funny that you said that and brought that up because that's exactly where it hit me. I, I got a term vibe out of it immediately. It was so funny yeah, when I was, I was reading. I was sitting on the couch reading it, and Dustin was like, "What is your face even doing right now?" I was like, "Dude, there's this country guy. He's got like a fire poker, and then he's trying to kill like an abomination." And I was like, "An abomination!" I was like, "It's crazy. I don't know what's going on, but I like it. You need to read it. So I don't even know how to describe it. Read it." <laughs> yeah, I always kind of have like you know a whole subgenre group of films that like I'm kind of influenced by and like vaguely mm-hmm. but there's always those like three or four films that are really strong influences for each book and i'm always curious like who's gonna catch it uh so like when we did daddy's little killer there was uh, a review i got on amazon the guys like this reminds me of black christmas but kind of like pieces and i was like those were two of my biggest ones so i was super excited to see that and i love when people are like this kind of reminds me of terminator I'm like yes somebody got it <laughs> But the other, so like I said, the, uh, every time it's a little bit different. Uh, so Camp Carnage was 80s stuff. Um, and I kind of wanted to play more along the lines of like the burning and uh, early Friday the 13th. But I really wanted to. Maybe we have those. another guest. <laughs> yeah. Damn cat. But uh, I wanted to have like not so much thematics with Death Killer. Like I wanted you to know that there was, you know, somebody out there, they're wearing a mask to hide their uh, identity. And that's pretty much the only reason they're wearing the mask. Like, you don't have that kind of showmanship that you got with the other killers because they're more just, I'm not here to do my thing. I'm going to annihilate everybody. And then with the fourth book, it's largely a ghost story and it's very uh, Final Destination kind of kills uh, throughout most of it. There's a monster towards the end, but... I really wanted to focus on that, you know, is there, isn't there a curse kind of thing throughout where some people are very skeptical, but most of the towns just agreed that, yes, we are cursed. We are all going to die if we leave town and we're all going to die if we stay. So everybody's kind of find your own coping mechanism. And that was kind of a large part of writing that book was where other stories, it's more in the uh, background and the subtext what I'm actually talking about. And a lot of times I don't have anything I'm actually talking about. I'm just telling you a cool story. But this one, it was very much about how people deal with uh, living with depression and anxiety. And it's kind of that same ideal because in their town, you could die any minute because there's a freak accident all the time. 
So how do you deal with knowing that today's your last day? And to me, that's the exact same way it's like living with depression and anxiety is going, you know, today might be my last fucking day because these people are really pushing it. Um, mm -hmm. So being able to kind of explore the different ways that people cope and just kind of dial that up to 11 because you're in this town where everybody's fucked and it got to go through a lot more, um, more fun places with the kills, be able to go, yeah, I don't have to worry about, you know, how far away the person is now or how the killer's going to chase them down or how they're going to reach them or what happened to their weapon. I'm just going, now the whole fucking building's coming down. Well, David, outside of Babysitter Massacre, uh, what other uh, books are you working on? I know you had a couple projects in the works, and uh, I just want to let our listeners know what what you may have coming out on the uh, horizon. Well, I have Horror Express out now. I actually found a copy. Um, so I have that one available now. It was my first time publishing, so there's a few little things aesthetically I wish I had done differently. But, you know, I get to learn as I go, I guess. Um but that was a uh, literary remake, is what my mentor calls it, of uh, a 1972 film with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Um, it kind of updated the science a little bit and made it a little bit more uh, aggressive. <clears throat> it also kind of went a different direction with the monster because I don't have a budget constraint like they did. So it's definitely, uh, if you like the movie, I think you're going to love the book. Like, not just like my ego talking, like, I think it actually does um, a lot to improve uh, on the shortcomings of what was an otherwise great film. Um, but I have The Savage Bees, which is an anthology that I put together. The ebook is available now. Um, I had a lot of trouble with Amazon on that one. So I've been waiting to get that resolved before I went ahead and did the paperback. So hopefully I'll get the proof of the paperback next week and then I can get it out there too. But it's got a uh, 13 of us total, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, it's myself, Jay Wilburn, Dennis Friedman, Maya Laris, uh, Zami Hill, both of whom I've worked with in the Colors and Darkness uh, anthologies. Uh, ja, I was a C. Courtney Joiner's in there. He's the screenwriter who did uh, Class of 1999, From a Whisper to a Scream with Vincent Price, uh, Prison with Vigo Mortensen, way before he was famous. Uh, Transfers yeah. 3, wrote and directed uh, Puppet Master 3, which to me is the crown jewel of the franchise. Uh, I hit him up for a foreword for the book, and he said, like, I, I don't get fan letters. Like, this is the first time this has happened. Uh, so he was just so blown away that, you know, I reached out to him. that He ended up giving me, like, a 20-page essay that's in there and a short story that's included as well. So oh, wow. Wow, that's so awesome. Yeah, so that was like a huge boost to my confidence. And he sent me his story, and I had to make sure, of course, everything was lined up formatting-wise with how I did everybody else's. So I'm happy to send this guy whose work I grew up on a list of notes going, hey, do you mind if I change this and this? And he's like, no, those are great notes. You know, those great pointers. I didn't ever think about that. I'm like, oh, shit, like this is – like too much right now. I gotta like go hell down. yeah, <laughs> yeah. It took me a minute. I had to kind of like recuperate and like reread the email. Like, is he fucking with me? But uh, I got him involved in that, and then uh, my mentor uh, Brad, he went through and he did the editing on it and kind of put everything in order because I had no idea how to do any of that. Um, but he went through and touched up my edits, and then 
got it all laid out. It has a beautiful cover. Uh, just absolutely love how it was put together. Just a little wink nod to uh, Henrik on the cover as well. Uh, it, it's just a, a really fun story. The whole book, I have been trying to do it for two years now. Um, it came to me shortly before uh, Larry Cohen passed. And when he passed away, I was just like, I've got to do it now because Maniac Cop is one of my favorite franchises. Uh, and so, you know, same with the stuff and cue the flying serpent, even, uh, I just love this work. So I was like, I'm definitely doing this, you know, it's a tribute to B movies and just having fun with entertainment, uh, or finding entertainment and horror. So I w- reached out to some other writers I knew. And, uh, one of the guys I used to go to a writing group with, I was like, dude, you could do horror, you know, like you do fantasy and stuff, but you could write great horror if you just tried I was like, write Meth Gator for me. And he was like, what the hell are you talking about? And I showed him this article I found about, you know, Alabama cops saying, don't flush your drugs. The meth's going to go to the alligators. And I was like, I need a Meth Gator story for this. And he was like, okay, I'll write Meth Gator for you. And he wrote it and it just blew me away. I was like, dude, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is the kind of story you should be writing. So there's some really great stuff there. So you got meth gators, you got lunatic firefighters, you've got demonic porn producers. It's just all over the place. There's some sludge. There's a septic tank fish monster. It's crazy. Uh, it just you had me at meth gator. Yeah, I, it goes the whole whole spectrum of B movies. I was like, I want some Tromaville in there. I want some Full Moon in there. I want some New Horizons. And everybody really uh, pulled out all the stops to come together and make this happen finally. <clears throat> so yeah, I got that one out. I've got three more babysitter massacres that I plan on having done this year. Um, That's book, crazy to me. Yeah, you're pu- book, you're pumping them out, man. Book five, I've got my basic outline, so I'm not quite ready to storyboard it because I'm getting some real research done. Um, this one's going to be way different than anything I've written before. Uh, it, it's much much darker, much grislier, and just. Uh, morbid shit so it also deals with just two characters throughout the entire book for the most part there are some you know side pieces that come in but for the most part it's following these two people so it's a lot more cat and mouse it's a lot more mystery but it's also a whole hell of a lot more violence just in more interpersonal violence so it's definitely uh something that's going to take me a little bit longer in the pre-production when I go back into book six, though, I think for those that have read book three and book four, especially, they're going to kind of start to see what's coming uh, for book six. Uh, book five still plays into the whole general timeline or the general universe, rather. But I think when you see that book three to book four, even though they're completely different uh, subgenres, completely different time periods, I think that those two stories, especially out of all four of them, really work to let you know where I want to go with book six. And then book seven, I'm playing with a few different ideas on, but I should have outlines for that one probably by midsummer and then be ready to have it written and finished by November. Um, I have the Dolls of Horror official novel that I'm working on for the Dolls of Horror podcast. (laughs) I still haven't seen that one. But, uh, oh gee, yeah, I, I need you to watch it and get back to us on it. 
It's on my list. Uh, we keep having people go down at work for COVID. So right now my schedule yeah. is all sorts of fucked up and I'm just kind of getting in where I can to write whatever I can. Mm. But I don't think I've watched a horror movie in six weeks now, which normally I watch at least one a day. So it's been pretty crazy around here. Just trying to keep everything balanced. What, I will tell you one thing I, I did like around the holidays was your Christmas countdown. Was your Christmas, uh, you almost had a daily yeah, viewing yeah. of Christmas movies. So that was pretty awesome. My goal I kept one up a with day. That. I, was, I was trying to do 31 for 31 uh, in October, all movies I had never seen before. And then in December, all Christmas horror movies for a change. Like normally I have my 31 horror, or my 31 Christmas movies that I watch. Uh, but this year I want to do all horror movies and I think I got to like day 13, day 14 and everything just kind of went to hell in a handbasket and I fell so far behind I couldn't get caught back up. Yeah. But it's been kind of, the last few months have been kind of rough. So like the Dolls of Horror book, honestly, I should have had that shit finished November at the latest. Uh, I write them pretty quick. Um Say so anything under 40,000 words, my goal is to do it in 11 days or less. Uh, 11 writing days. So you know, I may have some you know, work days that get a little bit too long. I don't have time, time to write. But 11 writing days, I try to have anything under 40K done. And with this one, it's such a happy-go-lucky, blood-soaked, fun story. And I just haven't been a happy-go-lucky person. So I don't want to destroy that book with my current mentality. So I'm just kind of like avoiding that and working on it when I have a good day. Um, so it's been a little bit slower than I wanted it to, but it should be done pretty soon. Um, yeah. So I have a, uh, I have a production, uh, production slate saved on my phone. I think it's something like 27 books that I plan on writing over the next couple of years. So, um, some of them are short story collections and some of them are, uh, full on novels, but, it's just all stuff that, you know, these are the stories that have really spoken to me. They're the ones I want to write, so they made it onto the list. And then I keep, you know, little notes for other things that I'll get to eventually. But uh, I know awesome. I have, uh, Zombies is one that I've been telling people's coming for a long time. I have the cover designed for it, and everybody's super stoked for that one. People are constantly bugging me for more Mr. Scratch, which was actually the first story I ever sold. Uh, he's a... Uh, fallen angel that makes crossroad deals to stay ahead of his enemies and i love writing mr scratch but his stories are always first person so it's kind of intimidating to try to do a first person novel like to me that's just uh i, I don't know that he has those kinds of legs on him uh he works great in short stories but it also means spending a lot of time in his head which uh can be detrimental to my personal relationships because scratch is kind of a douche but um he's a very fun character at the same time he's kind of uh what would happen if i didn't have children or you know moral constraints so it's very fun to play in his world but i don't know about doing it for 20 to forty thousand words i think that might be a, a bad yeah, idea yeah. Um, well i I, I, I had a conversation with my writer friend bryce <laughs> he's uh he writes in first person and I've written in first person. That's not my favorite thing to do because I kind of suck at it. So I admire anyone who can hold up an entire novel writing in first person. Yeah, uh, Richard Cadry did it really well in the Sandman Slim stuff. Um, and actually, the, I think it was the first 
three that I had read at the time. It was uh, Sandman Slim. I don't remember the second one. The third one was Aloha from Hell. And they were such great books. And that was like, after I read those, I was like, all right, I'm going to try this first person stuff. And I happened to see an open call and they said they wanted a story where somebody evil was the main character. And I was thinking, okay, well, that'd be a good place to use, you know, first person. And at the same time, I used I keep a notebook and then I come home and I put it into random files that are on my computer. But I'll think of a line of dialogue or something like that. It goes into a file that's just random one lines, you know, it might be a descriptive line or a dialogue line, just, you know, things that might turn into something else later. And one day while I was at work, the line just came to me. My name is Mr. Scratch. I'm not the devil, but I've met him once. And I thought that would be just, you know, good for something eventually. And it went in this folder for, you know, six months, a year. And when I saw that open call, I was like, well, there's my opening line and I want to try first person. So I'm going to go ahead and go with it and end up sending it into Siren's call. Um, I believe the anthology was called Wicked Deeds. Sold the story to them and they bought it pretty much right away. Got my check. It cleared. Cool. Didn't hear from them again. Book never came out. I'm like, what the fuck? So whatever. <laughs> I write another Mr. Scratch story and sell it to Colors in Darkness. And they had it in their Forever Vacancy collection. Forever Vacancy published about a week before the original anthology published a year and a half later. Uh, so the first story I sold was actually the second one I published and it was the sequel to the second story that I sold. So I was really, uh, <laughs> happy with how those played out, but eventually I'm going to, I am going to do an unabridged version because the problem with open calls is I'm limited by somebody else's word count. Um, so I think the first Mr. Scratch story definitely has a couple thousand more in him. And the second one's pretty good as is, but there were some details that I had to cut out. So uh, I want to expand those. And then I have two or three short stories that were unpublished uh, where Scratch makes cameos. So I want to kind of expand those and put them out there uh, as a collection because people that have read the Scratch stuff on their own, when they go through and they read something like Family Splatters, they start to kind of put two and two together with certain characters. Whereas people who haven't, they've got to track down this anthology that's been out for five or six years uh, to get that one story that ties in. So I kind of want to put them all together to make uh, Scratch and his characters a little bit more accessible to fans of the babysitter stuff. But uh, like the cowboy that shows up throughout um, mm -hmm. uh, Family Splatters, he plays a big part in one of the scratch stories. He also plays a big part, or a, a small part in the Dolls of Horror book. So if you've read all three of them, then you're like, oh shit, okay, now I know who he is. And it starts kind of making sense where why he's in these different places and what he's doing. But at the same time, I said they're very, um, they're not as accessible as I would like them to be because you do have to have, you know, two different books to get the whole scratch vibe. Um, Plus, as I said, the other stories, um, once there's three, I think there's three of them now, but uh, I haven't played with Scratch in a while, but I have brought back the Cowboy a few times, and I'm really looking forward to giving his own story, um, kind of the center stage in this uh, collection, so I'm hoping to get that out, but I have the Independence Day collection, which is my next big 
uh, goal as far as my own publishing. It's been, it was supposed to come out last year. Things happened and I ended up four stories shy of where I wanted to be. And I just wasn't going to release it until I was 100% happy. So it did give me an extra year to finish the stories. Uh, I'm going through and editing that. I've got one more I want to put in there, just kind of wrap the whole book up neatly. But it all follows this town in Missouri from an inciting incident to the the destruction of the town. And it's all on the 4th of July. Something bad happens every 4th in this town because of this one incident where everybody was kind of cursed. So that's been sitting there gestating for a while. I'm really looking forward to getting that one out this year. Um, I think that one, the scratch collection, those are definitely happening. And like I said, I want to get at least three babysitters written this year. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. I've got one novel coming out this year. That's it. Um, but we did launch just a one, just one, just one, but we did launch a podcast. So I'm that gonna, is I'm true. Gonna, that is true. I'm going to use yeah. that as a crutch, but the, yeah, I got, I got one coming out one now. Uh, well, David, we really appreciated having you on the show today. Um, one last chance to plug some stuff. Uh, you can listen to some of David's stories on Weekly Spooky. Uh, that's a, a podcast hosted by our, our friend Henrik Kuto. And David has quite a number of stories out there. He's got a, a, Henrik's got a back catalog of like 100 or more episodes. It's over 100 episodes. And David has a lot of stories in there. And, and you know, I've been lucky enough to get a few in Was there. But uh, you go to, you, okay, David's got like 10 stories on Weekly Spooky. So go check out Weekly Spooky, you know. Some weeks you may like it. Some weeks may not be the story for you. But the great thing about Weekly Spooky is there's a different different spooky every week. So that, that's cool. And, uh, David, where else can we find you on social media? Um, uh, Facebook, of course. Um, I would probably get rid of Facebook if I hadn't spent so long building a platform there, honestly. But this is the most accessible for me because I don't have to do anything extra. I can just throw something out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just search David O'Hanlon Author. I'm up there. Um, David O'Hanlon author on Instagram as well. I prefer Instagram, but just most people do between work and personal life. Like I haven't had time for the hashtags and everything else that I like to throw on to every single one. That's a lot of work too. It, oh, yeah. it, it can get pretty time consuming. Yeah. So I'm just like, uh, I'm gonna get back to it eventually. I promise. But, uh, I got a lot of catching <laughs> up to do in my projects and then I'm going to get back to it. Um, so yeah, those are probably the two easiest ways to get a hold of me through social media. Um, of course, you know, I have uh, the Facebook page. Or, sorry, the Facebook page. I have email link to the Facebook page. So davidohanlon.author at gmail.com. Um, I check that a couple times a week. Uh, probably should do it a little bit more because it goes off constantly, letting me know I have stuff piling up. But um, so much of it's just junk that I don't bother. I check it like you know Wednesdays and Fridays, and I'll go through and clear everything out and occasionally actually have something important, but never fan mail. So <laughs> take that as a hint, I guess. Um, well, you got two fans I, right here. So. Yes, you do. Well, I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, like you said, uh, definitely find me on weekly spooky, um, regular contributor there. Um, and like you were saying too, like every week it's a different kind of spooky. That applies to me too. Like every one of my stories, like if you didn't like the last one, listen to the next one because it's going to be something whole lot different. Um, my first story that I sent in um, was The Faithful. And I think it was episode 36, 39, something like that. So now we're well over 100. Um, so it, it was back there. 
Um, and it's very 1950s sci-fi with some like old school, like uh, kind of out of the left or out of the corner of your eye kind of horror. Um, and then you know, I have, uh, see what else is on there. Uh, the worm is turned, which is about a killer gummy worm. So there's all kinds mm. of stuff that I'll do where, you know, it maybe it's going to be completely gonzo kind of crazy, or it might be, you know, a little bit spicy and erotic, or it might just be like, bloody or it might be action packed just because I love horror as a whole. So I'm going to kind of just dive mm. into it and just whatever subgenre I'm feeling is where I'm going to play. Uh, and sometimes Hendrick will kind of throw something out there and be like, I really want a story like this, or I really like holidays. Yeah. And I'll be like, hey, give me, a, give me a couple hours. I'll come up with something. And yeah, I'm writing one about a blizzard exactly. right now. Yeah, he <laughs> hit me up for snow stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'll write you a snow story too because I've been wanting to play with some stuff. And I was, I had an idea, and I had an idea for the ending, which is the main thing. The ending is fucking awesome. I had no, like, I was so excited about that ending. I didn't think about all the research I was going to have to do to get to that ending. So I am feeling, like, you know, extra stupid now because, like, I'm falling down this <laughs> rabbit hole of, like, obscure fucking books from the 1800s. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, and the bad thing is it's going to amount to, like, a paragraph's worth of information. But it's like, I'll, I'll throw in anything. He'll be like, what about this? And I'll be like, I can do that. Uh, he wanted Killer Clown, so I'd check out the story, uh, Fun and Funerals. Uh, that's my Killer Clown story. Uh, I actually really want to play with that one some more because there's some great mythology that I've built in around those damn clowns. Uh, so every time I write something for him, it's a, a different kind of adventure, and it's also dangerous for me because I'm like, shit, I really like that, though. I need to play with that some more, and I just can't, I can't keep my hands out of it. Um, my werewolf story is on there. It's one that after I wrote it, I was I messaged him. I was like, I'm gonna let you have this, but uh, I'm probably gonna turn it into a novel eventually because I really like this fucking story. So I always kind of like run that gambit of I might get attached to this and have to do more later. So it's always kind of dangerous when he's like, Hey, I'm really looking for. I'm like, Oh shit, what rabbit hole am I going down? <laughs> and you know, it's like he started with uh, holidays one time. He's like, Who has a you know. Fourth of July holiday, and that's how I ended up doing Independence Day. But it was also how I ended up doing the damn gummy worm. I was just like, I hadn't slept. I've been working nonstop, and I was just like, dude, I got an idea, and it might be crazy, and I might be over-caffeinated, but killer gummy worm. And he was like, fuck, if anybody can do it, it's you. Go for it. And I wrote <laughs> it up for National Gummy Worm Day. It actually dropped on Gummy Worm Day. I was really excited about that. Um, and it's also sharing day, or give something away day. So it dropped for two holidays at the same time, and it fit both of them. So I was really happy with how that one turned out. And that was the start of the uh, Pin and Head stories, and everybody loves those two. So um, they also have uh, another appearance in um, Careful What You Wish is the name of the story. I want to say it was like number 93. It was in the 90s. Um, but... I had to bring them back because people thought, you know, this little loser kid with his ex-con best friend was like the greatest uh, pairing and wanted more of them. And it's a lot of fun to write those because they are more uh, warm and cuddly. Well, you know, well, still, you know, blood soaked, but they're, they're, they're more happy stories. And it's kind of fun to just kind of break off and do something that's, you know, you don't know what's going to happen because magic is real. 
and I love doing those. And then I have some others where I'm just like, no, I really just need to skin somebody today. So we're going to go over here and play with this guy. All right. Well, David's got a lot going on. Jukebox baby. What do you got going on? I am jukeboxbaby78 on Instagram as well as on TikTok. I like to do the makeups. I like to paint my body in all kinds of weird stuff, clowns, drag kings. I've turned myself into a werewolf, a lion, all kinds of crazy crap. I've done it. So if you'd like to see it, that is where I am at. I'm also Elena Marie on Facebook. You can follow along with my crazy shenanigans and funny memes. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to all of the small authors that we know, um, you guys have all brought such special gifts into the world, and and you, David, thank you so much for sharing your gift with all of us, bringing some of the the light and the darkness back into the world for all of us nerds. Um, I just highly appreciate you and Charles and all of the other authors that we know. I just thank you guys so much for bringing that to all of us. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm glad somebody's actually reading it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> somebody read my book. Oh shit! <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I gotta and, make my I make my kid read my book, but you now like, read this. You will read this. I am your father. Damn it! <laughs> read it. Or my no son people. actually cut a trailer uh, for Family Splatters for me. Uh, y'all still there? Shit, I am. Right, right yeah. Came out, he's on okay. Instagram. Uh, he's well, I'm Charles Campbell. Uh, you can find me on Facebook you under can. Charles Campbell Author on Instagram under Charles Campbell Author. Like one try. And, um, like, I can tell him to do. That's where you can find me, and you can follow me at ValleyBoyPublications.com. It has links to all of my books and all of my social media sites. And again, we thank David for being on today. And that's it for this week's episode of Horror 421 the podcast. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye. We hope you had a horrific time, lovelies. Thank you for tuning in to Horror 421, the podcast. Be sure to like us on YouTube and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.